Father God, you are so, so good to each of us. You have created us to be yours. You've created us and made us in your image, transforming those of us who know you into the image of your Son for a very, very specific purpose. And that is to honor you, to glorify you. And I'm so grateful, Father, you've given us everything. And we offer you our worship and our attention as a sacrifice back to you for how amazing you are. I pray, Father, that your spirit would be our teacher, that your word would be our guide, and that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I told everyone else to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Probably should have done the same thing. So last week, we started in Ephesians chapter 2. We were supposed to study verse 10. That was my goal. We're going to get back, Lord willing, into Luke next week. Uh, We started Luke back in November, and up until the first weekend in July, we made it through the first six chapters of Luke. Uh, So we're going to get back into Luke chapter 7 next week. This was supposed to be last week's message. We didn't make it. So we're going to try again today. But for the sake of cohesion and context, we're going to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. I promise I'm not going to get stuck there again this week, and then we'll move forward. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now, as we looked really at the first nine verses last week, and we kind of got into verse 10 for a little bit, um, We pointed out things like the fact that even though we once walked according to the course of this world, right, following culture, society, and according to the prince of the power of the air, and we established last week that if you're not following Christ, you're following the devil. And I know, oh, that's unpopular. You say that, people will get upset. I don't care. It's true. And it's really, for the most of us, it's not until we come to know Christ that we can admit that. Although there are some people who really need prayer who gladly boast in their worship of Satan, and that's, that's not going to go well. You ever watch one of those videos on YouTube, like where the guy's standing on a tree branch and he's sawing 
on the tree branch, but he's on the wrong side of it. And you look at that and you go, you know, that's not going to end white. That's something bad's about to happen. That's kind of the way I look at people who go, oh, we worship Satan. That ain't going to go well. That ain't going to end right. But that's really what it boils down to. We're either followers of Christ or we're following the world, the culture, the devil. Um, It's really one or the other. That's what Jesus said. You're either for me or against me. Pick one. Uh, At one time, we conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, right? We lived for sin. We lived for self. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So many folks get this idea, well, you know, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to do really good. I'm going to, I'm going to look all pretty. I'm going to get done with the alcohol or I'm going to get done with the porn or I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get everything right. Then I'll go to church. So I want you to think about other aspects of our lives where that would be a really dumb plan. Right? So you get diagnosed with cancer and your doctor says, I'm going to send you to the oncologist so you can get treatment. You go, I'm not going to the oncologist till I'm cancer free. Um, what? That doesn't make any sense, right? I'm out of food in the house. I should probably go shopping, but I'm not going to the grocery store till there's food in the fridge. I'm not going to church until I get my life right. You come to church to get your life right. Well, you come to Jesus to get your life right. And hopefully if you're going to the right church, you're going to come to a church where we talk about him a lot. Because we really love Jesus. Because he loves us. But that's what it boils down to. Yes, you were this. You were sinners. You were separated from God. Isaiah tells us that our sins have separated us from him. You were walking in darkness, following your lust, following the devil. But God, ah, to the greatest words, but God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were that way, said, here's my son. And in his death and resurrection, he raised us up together with him, making us sit in heavenly places in Christ. And there's so much there. Not only are we forgiven and we're saved and we are promised eternal life and we are adopted into the family of God and we are made Uh, kings and priests unto our God and we are made heirs with Christ it's it's incredible who we are and what we have as followers of Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us and then verse 8 and 9 and this is why we did all that because a lot of folks and I mentioned this last week like to take verse 8 and 9 out of context Right? For by grace you have been saved, through faith in that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the beautiful thing about those verses is there, along with multiple other places, we are simply taught we cannot save ourselves. Right? I can't be good enough. I can't do enough good things. I can't look good enough. I can't sound good enough. I can't smell good enough. I can't help enough old ladies across the street. It doesn't matter what I do. None of it's going to be good enough to get me in. And I don't care. I had a conversation with a person once, and they said, well, what about Gandhi? I'm like, well, unless Gandhi knew Jesus, it didn't matter. Oh, okay, well, fine. What about Mother Teresa? Well, unless she was relying on the death and resurrection of Christ, all the good she did is meaningless. Now, whatever we do for Christ, well, that bears fruit. 
But if we're doing something to try to convince God or ourselves or the world around us that we're good enough to go to heaven, nope. Or what about the people who say, well, you know, if I do enough good things, hopefully that'll outweigh the bad, right? They want the cosmic scales of justice. And hopefully when I get there, I'll have done enough good to get in. I don't know about you. But I don't want to hope when I get there that I've been good enough to get in. I want to know that when I get there, Jesus' blood has cleansed me of all sin and I'm saved and eternal life is waiting. That's what I want. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 out of context, as beautiful as it is, as much as it teaches us that we cannot save ourselves, but we are saved by faith through grace as a gift of God, and one of the most important reasons why is so we have nothing to brag about. Wouldn't heaven stink if we got up there and we got to brag about while we were there? You know, uh, Linda was a uh, 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 the pediatric nurse thingy. You delivered babies. You know, she's a nurse. Now, so imagine we get to heaven, and Linda looked and said, well, yeah, you know, I delivered, you know, 894 babies. I don't know how many babies you deliver. Um, and that's why I'm here. Oh, really? Right? And, and, and then, um, I, I don't know, maybe Pat would tell us how many houses him and his business have cleaned and how many bags he's delivered. How many people didn't go naked because he got their bag from the airport to them? Right? And then Aaron's standing right next to me. Yeah, but I put fuel in the plane oh you don't do that well i was the one who got the bag off the plane right so right just think about how terrible heaven would be then you'd get those of us who are just really full of it and oh yeah well i preached you know however many hundreds of sermons now if you go back 15 16 years none of those counted (laughs) they were bad um right or or i went to camp or i did this or that or i worked at the food oh man you know, I'm going to get there and I'm going to stand next to Linda. She's going to come over and hang out because she wants some chicken fried steak. And I'm going to be, oh, you, you made it. Yeah, the same way you did. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Or I'm going to stand next to Pat or next to Aaron or whoever else. At all. Hopefully we'll all be there. And it's all going to be the same. It's not because I was tall or short or fat or skinny or, or smart or stupid or whatever. It's going to be because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's why I'm there. Because he gave me a gift of grace to believe them. Now the problem is, then we like to take verse 10 out of context. So the good news is good news because we know what the bad news would be. You once followed your own lusts. You once followed your own passions. You once followed the devil. You once followed the course of the world. But God pulled you out of that in his grace. And now you're saved by grace through faith. Because the good news is only good news if there's bad news. And the bad news is, is apart from Christ, eternal condemnation and the wrath of God is what's waiting. I know, it's no fun to talk about. The scales of justice, I promise you, you do not want God's justice. I promise. I don't want God's justice. I know what God's justice looks like, and I don't want it. I want his grace. I want his mercy. And so then we go, well, I want God's justice for those people. I want his mercy and grace for me, but I want his justice for those people. (laughs) With the same measure you judge, it will be measured back to you. Matthew chapter 7. I don't pray for his justice on anybody else because I don't want his justice on me. I know what I deserve. 
and I'm grateful for what I've been given. But the good news is only good news when we know what the bad news is. But the good news doesn't end with salvation. Now that is something that I absolutely love. Because even though I am saved, I am going to spend eternity in the presence of God, not because of anything I've done, then why am I still here? And this is what we established last week, which is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The New Living Translation puts it this way. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The ESV writes, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So according to this passage in Ephesians, each of us is created for a purpose. Now last week, we established that we all have a purpose. Because I asked two questions, what is our purpose and how do we discover it? Last week, we just established that we have a purpose. So I'm going to go through what is point one in the bulletin notes and on the slides real quick. Because this was last week. And if you missed it, you can go back and listen. Today will still make sense. Um, We are his workmanship. The word there in Greek is poema or poema or however you want to say it. And it means poem. But not just a poem, but a unique masterpiece. You, each of you, me included, are a unique masterpiece. Praise God that art is subjective. But we are each a unique masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. We were created in Christ in two ways. First, he is the agent of creation. He literally is the one who created us. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 and 20 talked about that. Then, when we came to faith in Christ, he made us a new creation. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he did this for the good works which he prepared for us to walk in. And we talked about Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations before you were formed. Right? Before the heart started beating and the brain started waving and the little fingers and toes showed up, before that happened, God knew you, he consecrated you, and he appointed you. Now, maybe not as a prophet to the nations. Maybe he did. But he knew you, consecrated you, and appointed you. That's exciting. Psalm 139 goes along those same lines. And you should read that if you weren't here last week or listen to it. And it's point number one, if you are alive. Anybody? Oh, there should be more hands going up, folks. Anybody alive? Okay. Wow. Somebody call 911. About half the church is dead right now. Um, Don't do that. If anybody online, I'm joking. If you're alive, if you have breath in your lungs, you have a God-given purpose. I love that. Pat was talking in Sunday school this morning about a person that, that he had spoken to that said that he did that, that person, I, I don't know if it was a, a he or a she, said that they didn't think they had made a difference in their life. What a sad thing to believe about yourself. 
I hope I've made a difference. At the very least, I give people something to laugh at. That's worth something. But that's not why we're here. We're not here just to kind of lumber through life and hopefully we get to the end and it's not so bad. We're here for a reason, each of us. And I said this last week, you're sitting in this room for a reason. Sure, maybe you were invited or you chose to come to church this morning, but you're still here for a reason. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. You're in Gunnison for a reason. You're the age you are for a reason. Have you ever thought about that fact? That whether you're, you're you know, you're, you're, we, have a, we have a little one and a half year old or so, right, running around somewhere. And um, I'm not going to I think, well, actually, it's probably Jack has got the record for the other, other end, right? Possibly. Anybody here over 49 besides Jack? But the point is, I don't care how old you are. You were born when you were meant to be born. It wasn't an accident. You're here because you're meant to be here. It's not an accident. You are who you are with your gifts and your talents because that's who God made you to be. It's not an accident. And I love that. We used Esther last week to illustrate that. And, and you should go read the book of Esther. It's good for you. But we'll move on to point number two, where we're never going to get through the rest of the message. Last week, at this point, we were a half hour in. We're only 17 minutes in. I think we'll be all right. Number two, God's purpose for you is in relation to his love for you. And I love this idea. So many people in the world struggle to find what satisfies them or what brings them peace or happiness. You know, is it money? Well, if I just had enough money, you guys remember Madam Blueberry? How much stuff do you need? I don't know. How much stuff is there? Accomplishment? Well, you know, I made it this far in my career. I got this number of degrees on the wall, or I've got this big of a house, or I've got this fancy of a boat. Right? Many other attempts to gain what God has freely offers us because he loves us. Psalm 139, 18, God says this to us. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I think about a lot of things. My mind goes a thousand miles an hour, 23 hours a day, and I'm constantly going here and there and up and down and back and forth and round and round. And I'm constantly thinking about a ton of things. But God's, I, I, I recently uh, heard something and I can't remember what it was, but it's something like 20,000 random thoughts a minute can enter our minds if we're not paying attention. It's crazy. But God's thoughts towards us are innumerable. So let's just assume it's 20,000. He thinks about us 20,000 times a minute and there's 8 billion people on earth. Yeah, you do that math. That's what he thinks of us. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Well, I don't know what the future holds. Join the club. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. I don't know what's going to happen after the next election. I don't know if we're actually going to have a recession. I don't know if the wars that are happening or what's the next virus. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Neither do I. You know what I do know? God has a plan for me. 
He has a plan for my future. And I'm either going to trust him or I'm going to let the world tear me apart. It's a little bit of both some days, but I'm really trying to trust him. Knowing God's care and purpose for us and resting in that, in Christ, is the only place we'll ever find satisfaction. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Psalm 107.9, He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Psalm 17.15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And then Isaiah 58. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Point one was, if you are alive, and if you have breath in your lungs, you have a God-given purpose. Point number two is that God's purpose for us is in direct relation to his love and care for each of us. And in him alone, in his will alone, will we find satisfaction. Because people look for it everywhere. I already talked about that, so we're going to move on to point number the third one. God's purpose for each of us is discoverable. So recently, I have fallen in love with another Apple product, right? Ooh, surprise for those who know me. The Apple AirTag. Anybody know what the AirTag does? Don't you give me roll your eyes, Aaron. Aaron rolled his eyes at me. Uh, The Apple AirTag is a fun little button-looking device Well, you can put it on your keys, or you can put it in your bag or your purse. Uh, I bought a wallet that has a little AirTag slot, and this is what the AirTag does. You connect it to your phone, and if you can't find it, you open an app on your phone, you push a button, it starts beeping at you. And if somebody stole it, ready for all our conspiracy theorists, this is my favorite part about the Apple AirTag. Let's say somebody stole my wallet, and they weren't smart enough to take the AirTag out. right? And they run far, far away, and they end up in Denver with my wallet. Well, I can tell my phone to search for it, and it will ping my AirTag off of any iPhone within Bluetooth connectivity distance. Now, the person whose iPhone it pings off, they don't know that it happened, and the AirTag cannot access any of the data on that person's phone. But if somebody has an iPhone and they're sitting in a Walmart in Denver, my AirTag will ping off it. And the person who's stupid enough to steal it had an iPhone, it'll ping off their iPhone. And then the police can go get my wallet back. Now, the biggest reason I got it is not because I'm afraid of somebody stealing my wallet. I think they'd be vastly disappointed if they did. I'd be mad because I'd have to buy a new AirTag. Um, I don't have a lot of money. Uh, but I did it because I tend to leave my keys places or, or, or something like that. And I'm like, where are my keys? Take out my phone, push the button, beep, beep, beep. It's awesome. It's just another way for me to be connected to the, you know, the grand government conspiracy of tracking us everywhere we go. What's that? I do use my phone. Oh, that's easy. I can access my phone's location from my iPad or my laptop. Or Leah's phone. Or Hannah's phone. Or anybody else who's on our plan. Oh, yeah. It's all there, baby. 
Why did I tell that story? Anybody? No. Um, because the idea behind the air tag is if I can't find something, it's discoverable. <laughs> Do you see how I did that? God's purpose for each of us is discoverable. He has no desire to keep his purpose for us a secret. Now, imagine you have children, right? Many of us do. And your kids come home and there's a sink full of dishes and, and the kids come in and you just stand there and look at them and you don't say anything. And then later you yell at them for not doing the dishes. I've never done that. Glad Han Lydia's not in here. Um, right? And, um, and uh, yeah, Lydia would look at the dishes and just walk on by. That's true. But what if I was like, well, why didn't you do the dishes? Well, you didn't ask me to do the dishes. This conversation has taken place in my house before. Well, why would I have to ask you? It's your chore day. Well, I don't care. I, just, I didn't know there were any dishes in the sink. They're literally overflowing. They're on the counter. They're on the stove. It stinks. Well, I didn't look. Could you please do the dishes? Okay. It's no difference for us in God's will. It's not like we're going to walk through life and God's just standing there going, boy, I wonder if they're going to see it. Well, I wonder if they're going to come across what I want them to do. I wonder if they're going to read the right book and maybe it'll pop into their minds. No, he has a plan for us and he wants to know, wants us to know what it is. He wants us to know and understand his purpose. So how do we discover it? We submit to him. We trust him. And we delight in him. First, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We submit to God as an act of worship. In order to discover his purpose, we submit to God as an act of worship. James 4, 7, and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We trust that his way is better than ours, so we don't conform to the world. John 17, 14 through 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We are transformed as our minds are renewed in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, For those he formed, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. I know I read all that really fast, but it was to make one simple point. If you want to know God's will for you, you have to submit to God. It's pretty simple. And that's a word we don't like. We don't like the word submit. Anybody else? How many ladies, when going through premarital counseling, and they came to that beautiful verse in Ephesians chapter 5, 22, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Women love that verse, because how did Christ love the church? He died for her. 
Husbands are to love their wives sacrificially. Well, then you get to the one on, on wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Then there's a beautiful passage in 1 Peter where wives are encouraged to be like Sarah, who called Abraham Lord. I haven't gotten that one. I pulled that one off yet. But it's in the Bible, folks. You don't believe me? Go read 1 Peter. Um, that's hard, isn't it? I know me. I wouldn't want to be her. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm a tyrant and she has to do everything I say? No. It, it didn't work. I tried it. I really did. She remembers I'm still alive. She's still here. Don't know how that happened. But by the grace of God. But when it comes to submitting to God, it's not an imperfect human being who's capable of mistakes. We submit to the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, eternal God. That should be easier, shouldn't it? Now, if you're anything like me, and you're filled with doubt and fear, it's not always easy. But it's what we're supposed to do. Because as we give ourselves completely to him, he's going to guide us. He's going to lead us. We're going to be able to hear him. The second part is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And everybody loves going to this verse. Well, how do I determine the will of God for my life? Well, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And the idea of trust and the idea of submission, they don't necessarily go together, even though they need to. Well, you can say, well, I submit to God, but I'm just not sure he's really going to work this out. Or you can say, I submit to God and I know he's going to work this out. Trust. It means to be confident, to be sure, or to come to him for refuge. We don't lean on our own understanding. We are not to be self-reliant. We rely on him. And oh, that bucks our culture. Nobody, right? What does our culture teach us? You should have self-esteem. No, I want God-esteem. You should have self-confidence. No, I want my confidence to be in him. You should pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make something of yourself. No, I want to know what he made me for. Those are different, different things. Well, you know, if, if I'm going to do that, I really need to understand what's happening. I need to understand where I'm going. And we always go back to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He was in the middle of revival preaching evangelistic messages and God says leave okay Lord where do you want me to go the desert and Philip doesn't go but Lord that doesn't make any sense I got a bunch of people here coming to know Christ why would I go to the desert and God says go but Philip didn't he just went and he's out in the desert and he goes all right now what the chariot comes rolling by and God said go over to the chariot well, okay, so Philip goes over to the chariot. And you know what happened when he got there? God showed him what to do. Because when he got there, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And Philip said, hey, what you reading? <laughs> and he gets up, he shares the gospel, baptizes the guy. Holy Spirit takes him away. Now, why would he take him to leave a revival to go get one guy? Well, that guy took Christianity, Christianity, Christianity back to Ethiopia and they're are still Christians in Ethiopia to this day. One guy. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe you don't understand, but you go anyway. Trust. Don't lean on yourself. Acknowledge him in everything. Every part of our lives, we acknowledge him. 
I don't care what you're doing. If you go to work, acknowledge him. If you're staying home, acknowledge him. If you're cleaning the house, if you're going shopping, if you're talking to a neighbor, if, 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 it doesn't matter what you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of God. In every aspect of your life, acknowledge him and he promises to make our path straight before us. So we submit to him, we trust him, and we delight in him. Psalm 37, verse 4 through 7. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Now, I have always loved how poorly this verse is usually interpreted. Because usually people take this verse and they say, well, if I delight myself in the Lord, then he will give me whatever my heart desires. And that is not what this verse says. Well, sure it does. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you what your heart should desire. In other words, your desires become his. When you submit to him and you trust him, it's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about what I desire. It's about what he desires. And what he desires should be what I desire. It's the idea that, you know, we, we, we pray, not because we think prayer is going to change God, but because we spend time in prayer so that God can change us. The word delight means to be soft and pliable in God's hands. The word commit, and I love this word, it means to roll, literally, R-O-L-L, roll, run, or seek. It means to roll God's way. I really like that. And it means to be still, which means to be astonished and silent before him. The point is this, God's purpose is discoverable to each of us when we submit to him in worship, when we trust in him and not ourselves, and we delight in God committing ourselves to his way. Number four, and this one's quick. For every person who seeks to know and fulfill the purpose of God in their lives, God promises to complete that work and accomplish his purpose in us. Psalm 138.8 The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. In Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this. Some translations say being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. When we seek to know and fulfill the purpose of God in our lives, God will accomplish that purpose. And I say this a lot, and I'm going to say it again. Maybe your purpose is different than mine. Most likely it is. That doesn't mean my purpose is greater than yours. It's just different. And it doesn't matter what your purpose is in the grand scheme of things. Because if it's the purpose God gave you, 
if it's what you were created for, then it's going to be awesome. Not easy, but awesome. And I can attest to that. I've been a pastor for 18 years. And there was a point, most of you know the story. If you don't, if you, the rest of you who don't, I'm not going to tell it now. But most of you know the story that there was a time when I tried to quit. When I tried to walk away from being a pastor. I handed in my resignation to God. And God, because he's good, was like, okay. You know, it's like when your little, little three-year-old comes, I'm going to run away from home. Okay. Need help packing? That's God's attitude towards me. Okay. And what I thought was quitting, he just allowed it to be a break, and I never really got a break. I kept leading worship and preaching. Um, but after about a year and a half, he said, are you done? You know, it's like the little kid in the corner crying and throwing a little toddler fit. Are you done? Can we talk about it now? He asked me, are you done? Yes. Are you ready to go back to work? Yes. And here I am. Now, that's not because I'm great. We all know better. That's because he's great. Now, when we seek to know and fulfill the purpose of God in our lives, God will accomplish the purpose. Now, if we choose to not seek it, to not know it, to not follow his purpose for our life, or if we are unfaithful servants, he's going to still accomplish his purpose. Do you know that? Nobody's irreplaceable. I had a, a coffee with a good friend of mine, another pastor in town, Rick, and, and uh, we, were, we were just talking about life and ministry. And he goes, yeah. He goes, so one of my kids looked at me the other day and reminded me that no one's irreplaceable. And nobody's irreplaceable. That, that's just the fact. If I don't do what God has called me to do, where God has called me to do it, he'll raise up somebody else. Now, I'm missing out. And it's a sin because it's disobedience, pride, apathy, and probably a number of other things. But God will always accomplish his purpose. But when we're followers of Christ, we should want his will for us. We should want him to accomplish his purpose in and through us. And when you know what God has made you to do, and you do it, maybe not perfectly, but you're doing what God has made you to do. Oh, it's sweet. It's so sweet. Let's close. Oh, collective sigh of relief. So Warren Wearsby, uh, this is, I have a couple big long quotes for you. The first one is from Warren Wearsby. He says, this is an amazing statement. Uh, this is on uh, uh, second, whatever we're at. Where are we at? Ephesians 2 verse 10. This is an amazing statement. It means that God has a plan for our lives and that we should walk in his will and fulfill his plan. Paul is not talking about kismet, an impersonal fate that controls your life no matter what you may do. He is talking about the gracious plan of a loving Heavenly Father who wills the very best for us. The will of God comes from the heart of God. I want you to hear that. The will of God comes from the heart of God. His purpose for us is based on His love and care for us. We talked about that earlier. 
Some people might go, oh, well, you know, God's going to tell me to do something I don't want to do. Yeah, probably. But it's because he loves you. It's like telling your kids to floss and brush their teeth. They might not want to do it, but it's good for them. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plan of his heart to all generations, Psalm 33, 11. We discover God's exciting will for our lives as the Spirit reveals it to us from the Word. When we trust in the Lord with all our heart, when we delight ourselves in Him, when we are not conformed, or sorry, when we are not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, how does that happen? Open this book and let the Spirit teach you. I know, easier said than done, but still, that's how it's done. Then I have this great Elizabeth Elliot quote. For those of you who may not be familiar with that name, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot's husband, along with several others, was killed by the Alka Indians. Um, and then she and her child, along with some of the other missionary wives who got killed, went to live with them. And they all got saved. Very cool. Uh, the, uh, the movie is called End of the Spear, if you've never seen it. Um, or you can read Elizabeth Elliot's account. This is a quote from her. Think of the self that God has given us as an acorn. It is a marvelous little thing, a perfect shape, perfectly designed for its purpose, perfectly functional. Think of the grand glory of an oak tree. God's intention when he made the acorn was the oak tree. His intention for us is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Many deaths must go into our reaching that measure. Many letting goes. When you look at the oak tree, you don't feel that the loss of the acorn is a very great loss. The more you perceive God's purpose in your life, the less terrible the losses seem. I like that. Well, what if God asked me to give up something I love? Acorn, oak tree. If he asks you to give up something, you you're not going to miss the acorn when you get the oak tree. Well, what if God asked me to go somewhere I'm not uncomfortable? Or I'm not comfortable. Or I am uncomfortable. You get the picture. Acorn, oak tree. What you give up, what you lose, what you let go of, does not compare with what God has planned. That's why he tells us in Romans chapter 8 that our present sufferings pale in comparison with the glory of God that's waiting. Four quick questions and we're done. Number one, are you alive? I like that one. Are you alive? Yes. If so, you need to know and recognize that God has a purpose for your life. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're retired or you're starting off. I don't care you have a God-given purpose. But what is it? Well, I don't know. I just told you how to figure it out. So you've got to go do the work. Because I can't do it for you. I will gladly walk with you. I will pray with you. I will talk with you. I had people who did that for me and helped me figure out what I was supposed to do. And I will gladly do that with you. But you still have to be the one who's seeking him and listening. Because if you're alive, you have a purpose. Number two, do you know that God's purpose for you is in direct relation to his love 
and care for you. Right? All I'm doing is asking questions based on the points I made today. Because I think far too often we miss that. That what God has called you to comes from his heart. Number three, do you know what God wants you? I can read. Do you know that God wants you to know what his purpose is? I've actually talked to people in all the years I've done this who have come to me and says, well, well, God won't show me. Right? I've, been, I've been praying, but God won't give me direction. Right? I've, I've, been, I've been seeking the Lord, but he won't guide me or lead me. Well, usually I go back to the, the questions I asked earlier. Okay, well, are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Are you truly seeking his will? Or are you trying to get him to say yes to your will? Ooh, that's a big difference, isn't it? Are you submitting to him? Maybe he's not saying anything at the moment because he knows if he says it, you're not going to listen. Are you trusting in him? Because right? if those things don't exist, there's some sin in your life or whatever it might be, that's probably what's going on. Now, if any of you is like, but I've been praying, God's not telling me anything. Sinner! No. <laughs> maybe he's just telling you to wait. Or maybe he's saying no. We get this mistaken idea that God only answers prayer when he says yes. Well, I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. Yes, he did. He said no. No is an answer. It's an answer we don't like. Wait is a worse answer. I'm glad if God tells me no, I'm okay with that. I can live with no. Fine, you told me no. When he tells me wait, I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait. But he wants you to know what his purpose is. And if you want to know what his purpose is, you got to seek him. Finally, are you resting in God's promise to fulfill his purpose in your life? Or are you allowing fear, doubt, or anxiety, or something else to hold you back from it? And I've heard them all. Well, I'm scared. I think God wants me to do this, but I'm scared. Good. Get out of the boat. Think of Peter. Lord, if it's you, call me to come out onto the water to you. And Jesus is like, all right. Get out of the boat. Everyone gives Peter a hard time. Oh, he sank because he didn't have enough faith. He got out of the boat. How many of us dip the toe in the water? Nope. I'm staying right here. I'm staying with the other 11. They're clearly smarter than Peter. There's a book. I can't remember the guy who wrote it, but it says if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. Is that it? What was it? Bill Nibbles. All right? If you want to, want to walk on water, get out of the boat. But sometimes fear will hold you back. Doubt will hold you back. Anxiety will hold you back. Sin will hold you back. Selfishness, which is a kind of sin, will hold you back. Laziness will hold you back. So many things will hold us back. And God says, no, I have more for you. Now, maybe that more isn't that you're going to become rich and famous and everyone's going to know your name. Praise God. I do not want to be famous. What's, what's that? Anymore. Yeah, there was a time all I wanted was a big, bright stage and people calling my name. Now I don't want people to know my name. I want them to know his. 
But whatever it is, we can rest in it. But I'm unsure. Rest. I don't know what the future holds. Rest. But what if he calls me to do something I don't want to do? Well, too bad. He's God and you're not. You listen to him, it'll be okay. One more quote and I'm done. This is from Henry Nouwen. Henry, 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 Henry Nouwen. I came to see that I should not worry about tomorrow. Next week, next year, or the next century. The more willing I was to look honestly at what I was thinking and saying and doing now, the more easily I would come into touch with the movement of God's spirit in me, leading me to the future. God is the God of the present, and he reveals to those who are willing to listen carefully to the moment in which they live, the steps they are to take toward the future. That's an incredible quote. Think about what it says. I'm not reliving the past. I'm not worrying about the future. I'm listening today. I love it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great and incredible grace. Thank you, Father, that you have a purpose for each of us. And Father, maybe that purpose changes over time. Maybe that purpose looks different than we think it should. I don't know. What I do know is that you've promised that that purpose is going to work out for our good. That what you have called and created each of us for is always going to be what's best. Help us to trust you, to delight in you, and to submit ourselves to you so that we can know your will and that as your workmanship created in Christ Jesus, we can walk in the good works which you've prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen.